The text for our message today will be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking again at verse 9. We've spent several weeks now looking on uh, what the Bible has to say about true love. That we ought not to love hypocritically, whether it's God or the world around us, and certainly not each other. And I hope those messages have been helpful. Um, Help us to have more of a loving heart in love with all that we are truly. But it's that last part of verse 9 I want to focus on for today, Romans 12 and 9. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave or cling to that which is good. And so the title of this message today is Good versus Evil. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask now that you please, as we come to the time of, uh, of preaching, Lord, that you would please be with us, each individual here, that you would remove the distractions from our minds, the things that might be weighing on us. Lord, help us to be receptive. I ask that you move among us by your Holy Spirit and convict or strengthen or whatever the need is, that you would do the work as only you can and you would help me to be true and faithful to your word and the things that you've laid on my heart. Lord, we give you glory for all that you will do and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good versus evil. That's the timeless story, right? We like those kind of stories. And if you think about it, in some shape or form, every book that's been written or every movie that you've seen or comic book or short story or whatever it is, they all tell some form of this great conflict, good versus evil. When you were a kid, you played cowboys and Indians or bad guys versus good guys and one side was good and one side was evil and Sometimes you fought over who was the bad guys or who was the good guys. We know this story. It's ingrained in our very being. And we're fascinated by it. Whether it's Spielberg or Lucas or Tolkien or Dickens or Patterson, whether it's some great producer or some great author, we are fascinated by the stories that they tell, but yet they're all telling the same story over and over again, good versus evil. And we, we rejoice when good wins, right? That makes a good movie. And that's how all movies used to be. Not that I see a whole bunch of them, but that, that's how all movies used to be. And it wasn't until recently that somebody dropped the storyline and now bad guys are winning and you're left with the end of a movie that's like, what? what ha-? There's a couple I remember watching. Is That's it? Shouldn't it, The good guy's supposed to come back and win or, or this guy's supposed to... Lose, because we're so used to that story, right? We're fascinated by it. Maybe why we're fascinated by it, because we know, well, we know the scope of the battle of good and evil is bigger than some movie. Like, we know the reality of it, that it's larger than a movie, it's larger than a book. We know that there is a very real battle going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil, isn't there? We know the epicness, if that's a word, of the battle. This is not something we take lightly. But there is 
lives being won or lost in this battle. We know what it's like to stand on ground zero of this battle, in the middle of the heat of the battle, with arrows or missiles or bullets or whatever you want to call it, flying past us, grazing us, some hitting, and maybe at some times we're fighting back and sometimes we're being pushed back. We know what it's like to be right in the middle of this battle, don't we? You see, the forces of evil we know are not some cosmic villains from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They're very real, aren't they? Satan and his demons. And don't forget, don't forget, we always leave this one out, the sin that's in us. Our own sin nature. Satan uses that sin to tempt us, though we really don't need all that much help sometimes. But he knows what he's doing and he and his, his demons are working to move and to, to destroy us. And the forces of good, well, of course, we know that to be God. God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the living Word that He has given us. And we already know the outcome. I could just say that right now too, can't I? We know who wins. It's not really a, an eternal battle or it's not really a battle in which the outcome is, is unsure. God will be victorious. The Bible tells us that. It's the battleground that I'm concerned with this morning. The one we know all too well. It's not some barren, wasted planet or some desert in a far-off place. It's you, isn't it? It's me. My mind, my heart, my life. It's your soul that is the battleground for good and evil. And it's a battle we all face. It's a battle we all fight. You cannot be passive. You cannot escape. You cannot just sit back and say, well, it's all going to work out. No, that's not the way it works. To be passive in the Christian life is to be defeated. To be passive in your life for Christ, which means just to sit back, do nothing, kick up your feet and enjoy your blessed assurance and do nothing for the cause of Christ, is to be defeated. Saved, but defeated. To do nothing and to sit back is to be dead where you stand concerning this battle. Saved, but no soldier. So no, you cannot escape or you cannot desert this battle. You cannot be, fat, be passive. You are in the fight. Just the same as I am. We are in the fight if you know Christ is your Savior. If you have been born again by placing your faith in Him. If you have committed your life to serving Him, to doing what's right and what's righteous. You're in the fight, brother. You're in the fight, sister. No escaping. You are active in this great conflict and you decide who wins. All your choices in life, whether it's your job, your family, your money, you fill in the blank with a hundred different 
categories. All of your choices and all of those different things actually boil down to this. Do you choose good or do you choose evil? And you choose one or the other always. Make sense? So, hence the simple instruction that we're given. Paul here in the end of verse 9 in chapter 12 tells us to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That's easy enough, right? It's one of those very foundational principles that almost seems foolish to preach, like, hey, we should know this. Yeah, it just makes sense. We should know this as a born-again child of God, as a servant of God, part of His people. We should, we should know that. Choose good. Do good. Cling to that which is good and not evil, right? So like we stay away from Ouija boards and pentagrams and we don't go to the church of Satan and we go to God's church and you know, we try not to cuss and we don't get dragged into all that's going on. That's what he's talking about, right? Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? I hope you know that stuff. Is, is what we're supposed to be doing or not supposed to be doing. <laughs> I bring up my grandpa's testimony a lot because of uh, the drastic change uh, that was in his life, oh goodness, 70-something years ago probably now. He used to frequent gambling halls and bars and all that went along with that life. And he said he quit that because there's just some things Christians don't do. I hope you know that this morning. There's just some things we don't do. Some things we don't get involved with. And I wonder if we've forgotten. Society around us doesn't help us to remember, now does it? Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to be in a few places in Scripture this morning, and I'd like you to see it. I'd like you to maybe take these and study these for yourself, if the Lord so leads. But I want you to look at these passages with me. Isaiah chapter 5. Society's not going to help. Maybe at one time, in America at least, it was more conducive to, to doing good. Society was better, if those terms make sense, right? Although that is not the norm, look through history, look through uh, uh, <clears throat> the Bible and the societies that it talks about. Society was not good. Society was evil. And the Lord's people, whether it was Israel in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament, they were the little piece of light in the darkness. And we in America have enjoyed a greater shade of light around us, but now we see that turning dark, don't we? And we are becoming increasingly more and more um, noticeable in our difference from society. We don't go to society to learn what is good and evil. And in fact, they will teach you the opposite. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. Do you get the picture? The Lord is making an analogy as if these people are walking around hauling all of their sins, all of their disgusting anti-God stuff around proudly, drawing it, saying, hey, look what I can do. Isn't that what society is doing? It seems like that's the latest news. Hey, guess what we're doing now? Guess what we made up? Guess who's running for governor of California, possibly? This is insane. 
And they're drawing it around proudly, saying the same thing as verse 19. And they say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. Hey, if God hates it so much, why does he come down here and say something about it? If God doesn't like it so much, let him stop me. But until then, I'm going to do whatever I please to do. Isn't that society? Pulling around sin, showing it off like it's something to be proud of. This was happening thousands of years ago as Isaiah prophesies and God tells him, the prophet, to tell them, woe to them. That doesn't mean like, hold on, stop. It means you are undone. You are unraveled. You are in danger. Stop it. That's God's message to the society around us. Look, keep, keep looking. Verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And that put darkness for light and light for darkness and that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Huh. If that isn't today, I don't know what else is. To believe the Bible, to believe God's Word and God's principles now is evil. And to believe and to practice anti-biblical values and actions, whether it be in the realm of the creation of man or human sexuality or morality, whatever it is. To practice whatever the Bible says not to do is being called good. They've been swapped. That's why we don't go to society for ideas on what is good or evil. And furthermore, verse 21, Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That is also the society we live in. I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I know what is best for me. I know what is best for you. It goes on to, to, to describe the day we live in. Even the right... And noble things in society are skewed. The fights that they take on, that they say are for justice, are skewed. One of the hot button things today seems to be racism. And let me just come right out and say racism is one of the most foolish sins ever. It is a sin and it's foolish. Foolish. Abominable in the sight of God. There is no different race between me and a man of a different color. Though his skin color may be different, though his culture may be different, at the core, we are both of the human race, made in the image of God, precious to Him, and who Jesus came to save. There is no right to look down on somebody else who is different from you. That is sin. That is anti-God because God loved the world, didn't He? And so I would say, amen, sin is a wrong, uh, racism, racism is a sin. To hate somebody for their color is so f- foolish, it's stupid. But so is calling somebody to be sorry for how God made them. We don't call somebody who's brown or black or white to say, I'm sorry, God made me so. 
No, we say you are a precious creation of God. And you thank God for how He has made you because He loves you. And because God loves you, I love you too. You see, even in their fight for right, they've gone the wrong way. Does that make sense? And we can see it, at least we should. We can see the difference between the good of God and the evil of the world. Paul's gone to great lengths in this letter of Romans to explain sin and why we need a Savior and how Jesus is our only Savior and why He is, is our, why only Jesus can save us by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead and how we are to place our faith in Him and to stop living in our sins and commit our lives to Him and serve Him, living a Spirit-led and a Spirit-filled life, having a transformed mind. That's Romans 1-11. through 11. Paul has already explained that to us. We see what evil is and we ought to stay away from it. So as long as we don't get involved with all that really wicked stuff in the world, we're good, right? Is that it and we can end the sermon? First of all, you know me better than that. (laughs) And second of all, yes, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is going on a deeper level. And we need to hear this. We need to be reminded because so often the battle for good and evil in your life is lost right here. Okay? So the first thing I want to consider is the nature of this evil. You don't have to turn back to the text, but he says, abhor that which is evil. And we automatically think wicked, like bad, really bad stuff all around us. The stuff you can immediately recognize and say, that is satanic, that's evil, get away from it. Well, yes, but Paul uses a different word. The word for that really wicked stuff is, is, is a specific Greek word. Paul doesn't use that. He uses the word poneros. And for a reason. Here's the meaning of this word, and I only bring it up because it's going to help you, I think, to understand. It means that which is of a bad nature... That which is diseased, malignant, cancerous, that which can cause harm. Hmm. This is like the sneaky evil. The kind of evil that may not look really bad on the surface. Like we kind of know it's bad, but it's certainly not as bad as like those satanic statues out there and you know, all that really bad stuff. Yes, it's not that bad, is it? The stuff we, it doesn't really look outwardly, oppressively evil, but nonetheless it is. It's cancerous and it will eat you up and it will destroy you. And listen now, listen, this is the evil things we most often justify in our lives. those things we do, those things we say, on and on and on, that we know we shouldn't, the things we do and we say that we're told we shouldn't, and we say, nah, it's okay. It's okay, it's just blah. In fact, calm down. Why why, why don't you relax? In fact, don't judge me. Look at your flaws. I'm going to do what I want. You worry about you. I'm going to do what I want because... 
Yeah, it's okay. And we get come up with a list of reasons of why it's okay. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Listen to me. You're going to lose the battle. You go down that road. Every time. Maybe not now. But the kind of evil that Paul is talking about will lead you down a road of destruction and you'll lose. You see, you underestimate Satan. Listen, I don't, I'm not here to praise him, but let's not be foolish either. Satan knows what he's doing. And he is a powerful adversary. He is an able foe, if that makes sense. You underestimate Satan. You underestimate the demons. You underestimate the power of sin that dwells in you and me, as, as Paul said. He's smart and we are weak. And quite often we, quite often we think the attack of Satan is going to be something bold. Like, man, see that coming for a mile? Get behind me, Satan. You ain't doing that today. I'm on my own way. We think it's going to be like, oh, I can see it. I know that's him. Sometimes it is. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it is. Hopefully we resist. We sidestep it or we get out of it or whatever it is. We say, thank you, Lord, for delivering me from that because that, that could have been bad. You've seen those. You've, you've experienced those different situations in your life. And sometimes Satan comes at you like that. But quite often, if not maybe most often, it's not the case. Satan is the father of what? Lies. The master of deception and all the techniques of deception. He's not going to walk up to you and say, hey, I got for you, buddy. I want to wreck your life. I want your marriage to end up in divorce. And I want your family to be scattered and broken. I want you addicted to drugs and I want you to be depressed and an emotional wreck and have no self-worth. What do you say? Will you take it? Any of us, hopefully, in our right mind will say, get out of here. No, I don't want that. I want Satan will, If we think Satan's going to come to us and boldly say, I want to destroy your life, are you in? We're mistaken. No, 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 no. What Satan will do is he'll come to you and tell you how good the path that leads to all that is. And how good it feels and how much you're missing out and why you should want it. Didn't he do that at the start? Genesis 3. You know, it's no coincidence that in the young adults class on Sunday mornings and the adult class on Sunday, or excuse me, Wednesday evening and now here in the message, we're all at the beginning of the book. Because what happens there matters and it repeats itself over and over, doesn't it? How is Satan going to come at you? Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said to the woman, I want you to take a bite and I want the rest of human humanity to be dead and lost in sins and headed on the way to hell. So just take the bite, would you? Just get it over with and do it. You're going to do it anyways. Did he say that? What did he say? Hath God said... Did God say that? Are you, are you sure, Eve? Well, maybe he did, but that's not what he meant. Did he? Did he really mean 
You can't, you can't eat of the tree? I mean, is it that big of a deal, really? Hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Are you sure? Hmm. That's what Satan does. And that's what he has done from the start, is to get you to doubt the word of God. Did God say that? He gets you to doubt the Word of God. He gets you to doubt its truth. He gets you to, tries to get you to doubt that this is true. He tries to get you to doubt that this has absolute authority and sufficiency in our life. So that you don't take this as the gospel truth, forgive the pun, but you don't, forget, you don't take this as absolute truth. In fact, you trust something else, some guy or gal's book or blog or podcast. Because you know what? They really, they really know It's like they're talking to me and they know what I need to do and my goals and everything that I want to do. So we put this to the side and say, I don't know that the Bible talks about that anyways. In fact, this sounds so good, I'm going to follow that. And meanwhile in the back, Satan's there. Did God say? Did God say? By the way, can you even answer that question if somebody asks you? If somebody asks you, what does the Bible say about pornography? Can you answer What does the Bible say about sin, salvation? Can you answer? Praise God, Eve was on her her, uh, game. Look what verse 2 says. The woman said, uh, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Whoa. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, God said it. Good for her. At least she knew. God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither touch it, lest you die. Sometimes we're able to come back and say, no, the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says I'm not supposed to do some of these things. Satan's trying to cause you to doubt, and hopefully you've got enough Bible in you because you've been reading and listening that you could say, no, no, the Bible says no. Look at the next step. Eve says at the end of verse 3, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither touch it, lest ye die. So like it's a pretty big deal, and I don't want to die. What does Satan say? And the serpent said to the woman, Ye ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Relax, you're not going to die. Calm down. Don't be so overdramatic. It's not going to kill you to have one little bite. You act like it's the beginning of the end of the world. Calm down, Eve. God might have said that, but I don't. He didn't really mean that. In fact, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to hold you down. He's so legalistic, that God, he's making all these rules and won't let you do what you want to do because he doesn't want you to have your best life now. It's seriously not that bad. He's got you both so scared. You're missing so much. Just relax, Eve. It's okay. And what happened? Verse 6. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. 
You see what happened? The perspective changed. What was once forbidden is now viewed as friendly, as harmless and desirable, as acceptable. And then it is explained and defended to others. And that bite brought death. Immediate and long term. Beloved, it's no different today. I hope, you, hope you're tracking with me. It's no different today. He's going to dangle the carrot in front of you and explain why you need to sin. He's going to explain why sin would feel so good. And he'll send the temptation of pornography and the sites you shouldn't visit and the the pictures you shouldn't look at or the relationships maybe in your life that are going to cross boundaries. Those TV shows, those movies you shouldn't watch and the gossip and the discord that shouldn't come out of your mouth and the alcohol and the drug use fill in a hundred different things. Things that may not seem outwardly, oppressively evil, but on the inward they're cancerous and they will destroy you. The things that will eat you up and lead you down a path of destruction. And all the while, He'll tempt you and tell you why it's okay. Why it's not a big deal. Why God is so restrictive. And why that pastor standing in the pulpit is so full of hot air because he don't know me. Who's he to judge me? Why doesn't he just relax? Because I've seen too many people take a bite and be destroyed. I've seen too many people lose a battle. It's not okay. Do you understand? The little temptation, the little sin, the little thing you're doing that nobody knows about, it's only you, and those little things you keep hidden in secret, or even the things you might talk about, if they are evil at the core, it's not okay. Evil disguised, evil made appealing is still evil a marriage started downhill because somebody started talking to somebody they shouldn't have or they started looking at pictures they shouldn't have alcoholics started with one drink drug users started with one joint one hit whatever many a love of God has grown cold because of one service or one Bible reading or one bit of gossip, what I am saying is it starts somewhere, doesn't it? And it's best not even to go down that road and take that first step. Abhor that which is evil. We don't got time. You've heard of Demas, right? Everybody know that name from Scripture? Sound familiar? So that you can see a progression in Philemon. Paul writes and he says, man, I've got people here, Mark and Aristarchus and Demas. They're my fellow laborers in the Lord. Paul saying, man, they're, they're in it with me. This, this guy is just, he's my right hand, my left hand, a fellow laborer. What a, what a beautiful thing to be called. I want to be a fellow laborer with Paul. It's pretty awesome. Well, then he writes the book of Colossians a little later. And he's, he's going down through this list of people and uh, Tychicus and uh, I, f- I forget some of the other names. But he goes in and describes like, man, he's, he's on fire and he's... Let, let me just turn there. I'll read it to you real quick so you get the sense of it. Tychicus is a beloved brother and a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus, a faithful beloved brother, is one of you 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, and Mark, if he comes to you, receive him, and Jesus, which is called Justice. These are my fellow, these are my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and Epaphras is one of you, and Luke, who's a, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Whoa. <laughs> What's up with that? You've got all these big explanations of these guys, how helpful they are, and Demas. We all salute you. Well, it's not too much later. Second Timothy chapter 4, you know that one. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. How do you go from a fellow laborer with Paul to somebody took off? Starts somewhere. I don't know what it is, but he said he loved the present world more. Whatever it was, he started down that road and he went from the fellow laborer Demas to just Demas. Yeah, he's here. To he's gone. Listen, it's not just your marriage these things can wreck. It's your relationship with God. Do you understand? James 1. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's, let's pull a couple points out. I hope this is clear. I hope this is understandable. James chapter 1. Satan is an able enemy. Okay? He's going to try to make sin look good to you. He's going to try to convince you of sin, but you cannot hang it all on him. The devil made me do it does not get you out of any trouble. Because <laughs> the devil doesn't make you do it. You do it. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Temptation is going to come along. We are blessed when we endure it. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give into it. Does that make sense? It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give into and entertain that temptation. Blessed is the uh, man who endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not tempt you. Never has and never will. The temptations come from Satan and yourself. But every man, verse 14, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. It doesn't say the the devil's poking him in the rear with a pitchfork saying, go here, go there. He's drawn away of his own lust. Those thoughts you spend too much time on, those pictures you look too much at, those places you shouldn't go. You spend too much time there. You go down that road. You're drawn away of your own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin never finishes as life. Sin never finishes as blessing. You're not going to be more holy because you sin a little. You're not going to know God deeper because I can do this and I'm okay. No, sin brings death. Separation. Every time. So it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't go down the road. Don't go down that road. That's the kind of evil Paul's warning against. The deceptive, cancerous kind. The kind we too often minimize or justify. So what does he tell us to do? What is our reaction to this evil supposed to be? We've looked at the nature of the evil. What is the reaction to the evil supposed to be? What did the text say? Abhor it. Do you know what that word abhor means? Hate it. Hate it. 
Literally, that word that is used there means to outwardly express disgust and detest for something. Some people's faces don't hide anything. (laughs) If they don't like you, you know. (laughs) That ought to be our attitude with evil. Like when you smell a skunk or cat poo or you liver and onions, something like that. Yuck, I'm out of here. I don't want to be around this. When's the last time you did that with evil? Do we treat temptation like that? Oh man, if we did. Get that words away from me. Stay away from me. No, not going to go down that road. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil, do good. Psalm 36, the wicked man setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Psalm 97, ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Amos chapter 5, hate the evil, love the good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Jude verse 23, hate even the garment spotted by the flesh. The Bible is, is not unclear about our attitude or how it should be for evil. We are to hate it. To be disgusted by it. Do we do that? Or are we not shocked by it anymore? Like we're comfortable with it. And we flirt with it. And seeing how much poison we can take before it kills us. Blurring the lines of holy living to suit our lust. Tolerating a little and justifying a little when we ought to get it out. Abhor evil. Don't entertain yourself with it. Don't entertain yourself with all kinds of temptations because you think you can handle it. If Adam and Eve couldn't, you can't. They were perfect. Instead of seeing how far we can push the boundaries and how many websites and profiles we can visit without getting in trouble or how many drinks we can get before we get drunk or how many services do I really have to intend or how much Bible do I really have to read and how much do I really have to love my neighbor or God, we ought to say, Lord, help me. Help me be like Daniel who purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the things of this world. You know better than to do that. Ephesians chapter 4. Walk with me through this. Don't space out because you think you know this. The people that think they know this are always the ones who usually fall because we let our guard down. We think we're good. Walk with me through this passage quickly and see what it says. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't live like the world does in the vanity of their mind. Some pretty vain things out there, isn't there? Some pretty foolish things that do not make sense. A hundred genders? No. It doesn't take a rocket science. My kids can give a better explanation of gender than the world can. It's vanity. Don't live like that. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their own heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness 
to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You know better. The lights have been turned on by the Holy Spirit for you. You see what evil is and what good is. So don't go and do the evil things. If so be that you heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So how about some of this? Wherefore put away lying? Lying sounds so good sometimes. It feels so good. We think we get away scot-free. It's a cancer. It's a cancer. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry. Think that can cause some damage? Oh, yeah. Be angry. Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. How about this? Neither give place to the devil. Through your cell phone, through your TV, through your conversation, through your relationships at work, don't give him a place. Don't crack the door and say, it's okay. Sooner or later, he'll come barging in and bowl you over and you'll be looking at a smoking heap of what used to be your life. It goes on. We don't have time for it. Telling us we know better. Oh, I pray that God would make our hearts tender to this, that sin would shock us, that we would refuse to be enticed by it that we would flee from it and hate it as Scripture says. So let's finish up with what we ought to do. We ought to choose the good over the evil, right? Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. I don't have to say much because I think you know what is good. I think you've heard enough messages and you know enough of the Bible that you know what is good and you know what is evil and you know it in your life and in your experience. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Just two passages of Scripture. I want you to see this. The word Paul uses in Romans for good is agathos, and it's good and useful and excellent and upright and talking about good things, godly things, right and righteous choices. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Listen to what Paul says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, these are good things. These are what things you ought to build in your life and focus on things that are true. Things that are, where'd the verse go? Things that are honest. I, you never have to hide or lie about honest things, do you? Do you ever have to explain away? I don't, how, how do we say, I don't have to explain away where I am at my, to my wife at any time. I'm at work or I'm at church. You know what? Makes life a lot easier if I'm not going places I shouldn't. You understand? So how about you think, focus and live things that are honest in your life. Just don't even go down that road. Whatever things, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Literally, meditate on these things. Those things which you have both heard and learned and received and seen in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. Those are good things, right? 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, you've 
I understand you've been here for a few Sundays, and it's a wonderful book. Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3. Again, this idea of what is good. God, according to His divine power, has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There is corruption that is in the world, and it comes through lust. And quite often, that's what Satan plays to. We've already talked about that. Verse 5, besides this, giving all diligence, you've got to be on it. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be vigilant. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go down to verse 10. Wherefore, brother, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. You're not going to stumble if you're clinging to that which is good. That's why Paul uses that word. We, we want victory over battles. We want to win this battle in our heart and our mind. And sometimes it's a fight because temptation can be relentless, can't it? Sometimes it's a fight. And Satan can beat at your mind, beat at your heart, and beat at your will. And that's why Paul says, cling, cleave to that which is good. You know what that means in Greek? Stick like glue. (laughs) That's what it means. You stick like glue. Glue yourself to the good things. Don't let go. Satan will try to make what is good and godly seem unappealing and boring and even detrimental to you. Why do you want to go to church when you can sit and watch TV? Why do you want to read the Bible when you can look at Facebook? Why do you want to do what is right when you can do this? Look, this looks so much more fun. We quite often say, okay, uh go over there and do it. No, cling, cleave, glue yourself to that which is good. Like a kid, I remember when we go to mall, the mall or even to somebody's house and the kids are stuck like right here. You can't, you can't walk because they're hiding behind you. Say hi, say hi. Hi. <laughs> they're stuck, right? Maybe we ought to do that with God. Maybe we ought to do that with Him. Sticking to to our Father in this place in which we are pilgrims, knowing that with Him we're safe and we're protected. And His instruction for us is good. Or like the soldiers on the battlefield that would link their shields together, do we stick with each other here in this body to find protection in the battle? Cling to that which is good, to God and to His Word and to the instruction that He gives us. And when evil comes along, no matter how much it might appeal to the flesh, or how tempting it is, stay away from it. Flee from it. Resist it. James tells us, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will what? Flee from you. Resist him. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. That's how the battle is won. Today, right now, tomorrow, tomorrow evening, When you least expect it and those temptations come, that's how you're going to win the battle. 
Recognizing, say, no, that's evil. That's going to hurt me. That is not from God. I'm going to separate myself from it. I'm going to be disgusted with it. I'm not going to play around and mess around with it. No. Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. God who is good. His word who is good. Your brothers and sisters here who is good. Your spouse who is good. You understand what I'm saying? Cling to that which is good. May the Lord give us strength to do so. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask that you take these words that have been spoken. You know the struggles we have in our own life and how Satan would tempt us and draw us away from you, Lord. Please help us to be disgusted with evil, to not play around with it, to purpose in our heart, Lord, by your strength and by your spirit that we will not allow ourselves to be led away from you. It's easy to say right now, Lord, when we're here in your presence and together, Lord, help us when the the attacks come from the enemy, when we're alone or distracted. Help us to abhor that which is evil and to cling to you, Lord. Use these words as you see fit, whatever is on the hearts of those who are hearing this, Lord, that you would draw as, as, as you would and do the work that only you can do. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.